Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. What's known as Hilbert's 13th problem was at one time predicted to shape the future of the math field, and it was long considered solved. But was it really? That's next. While you're listening to podcasts, remember to check out the other Quantum Magazine podcast, The Joy of X. Host Stephen Strogatz interviews top-tier scientists and mathematicians. New episodes out now. Also, tell your friends about this podcast and give us a like or follow where you listen. It helps people find the Quantum Magazine podcast. Success is rare in math. Just ask Benson Farb, a topologist at the University of Chicago, who recalls a conversation from a party. When someone was talking to me, I said, well, in mathematics, the hard part is you're failing 90% of the time. So you have to be that kind of person to be able to fail 90% of the time. And another mathematician was standing next to me and said, oh my God, you succeed 10% of the time? You're amazing. And then I said, no, I was exaggerating. I was greatly exaggerating my success rate there. Farb couldn't be happier about his latest failure, though to be fair, it isn't his alone. It revolves around a problem that curiously is both solved and unsolved, closed and open. The problem was the 13th of 23 then unsolved math problems that German mathematician David Hilbert at the turn of the 20th century predicted would shape the future of the field. The problem asks a question about solving seventh degree polynomial equations. The term polynomial means a string of mathematical terms, each composed of numerical coefficients and variables raised to powers. They're connected by means of addition and subtraction. Seventh degree means that the largest exponent in the string is seven. Mathematicians already have slick and efficient recipes for solving equations of second, third, and to an extent fourth degree. You may remember the familiar quadratic formula for degree two from high school algebra. These formulas similarly involve algebraic operations, meaning only arithmetic and radicals, square roots, for example. But the higher the exponent, the thornier the equation becomes, and solving it approaches impossibility. Hilbert's 13th problem asks whether 7th degree equations can be solved using a composition of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, plus algebraic functions of two variables, tops. The answer is probably no. But to Farb, the question is not just about solving a complicated type of algebraic equation. He says Hilbert's 13th is one of the most fundamental open problems in math because it provokes deep questions. How complicated are polynomials and how do we measure that? Here's Farb again. A lot of modern mathematics, a huge swath of modern mathematics was invented in order to understand the roots of polynomials, so to attack basically this problem. The problem has led him and mathematician Jesse Wolfson at the University of California, Irvine, into a mathematical rabbit hole. They're still exploring the tunnels. They've also drafted Mark Kissine, a number theorist at Harvard University, and an old friend of Farb's, to help them excavate. 
they still haven't solved Hilbert's 13th problem, and Farb admits they probably aren't even close. But they've unearthed mathematical strategies that had practically disappeared, and they've explored connections between the problem and a variety of fields, among them complex analysis, topology, number theory, representation theory, and algebraic geometry. In doing so, they've made inroads of their own, especially in connecting polynomials to geometry and narrowing the field of possible answers to Hilbert's question. Their work also suggests a way to classify polynomials using metrics of complexity. This is similar to the complexity classes associated with the unsolved P versus NP problem. Many mathematicians already thought the problem was solved. That's because a Soviet prodigy named Vladimir Arnold and his mentor, Andrei Nikolaevich Komogorov, published proofs of it in the late 1950s. For most mathematicians, the Arnold-Komogorov work closed the book. But five years ago, Farb came across a few tantalizing lines in an essay by Arnold, in which the famous mathematician reflected on his work and career. I was just reading an article by Arnold. I didn't really know what Hilbert's 13th problem was. And when you would look it up, it was very poorly explained. And Wikipedia used to say it was solved. So Farb read Arnold's own words. Arnold has a great paper talking about his career. And in that, he explained why Hilbert's problem is open, even though he was credited with solving it. He said the genuine Hilbert problem, the one that fits into all of history, is completely open. Farb was surprised to see that Arnold had actually spent four decades trying to solve the problem that he'd supposedly already conquered. This actual problem was sort of forgotten, partly because it was said to be solved. There would be these papers, and they would just literally repeat that it was solved. They clearly had no understanding of the problem, the actual problem, and in fact, People were not aware. Hilbert wrote another paper on this, and he explicitly says the algebraic version is the real version. He explicitly says that. Farb was already working with Wolfson, then a postdoctoral researcher, on a topology project. When he shared what he'd found in Arnold's paper, Wolfson jumped in. Then in 2017, during a seminar celebrating Farb's 50th birthday, Kassin listened to Wolfson's talk and realized with surprise that their ideas about polynomials were related to questions in his own work in number theory. He joined the collaboration. These things that Jesse and Benson were considering, they involved resolvent degree and central dimension. I'd never thought about any of these problems before, resolvent degree or a central dimension or anything like that. But... I thought about certain objects that come up like in number theory very naturally, these moduli spaces of abelian varieties. And then in particular, there's a particular tool which you can use there. Straight away, that occurred to me as a tool you could use in this setting. The reason for the confusion about the problem soon became clear. Komogorov and Arnold had solved only a variant of the problem. Their solution involved what mathematicians call continuous functions, which are functions without abrupt discontinuities. They include familiar operations like sine, cosine, and exponential functions, as well as more exotic ones. But researchers disagree on whether Hilbert was interested in this approach. Mathematician Zinovi Reichstein at the University of British Columbia says many mathematicians believe that Hilbert really meant algebraic functions, not continuous functions. 
Farb and Wolfson have been working on the problem they believe Hilbert intended ever since their discovery. Farb says Hilbert's 13th is a kaleidoscope. Hilbert, when he gave these problems, each one is this amazing gift. It's a kind of flowing, you're opening this thing up and it's pouring out. The more you get into it, the more new directions and ideas. That's what a good problem does. It's not just one problem, it's really a kind of thing that cracks the door open to a whole array of problems. And one can see this whole beautiful web. In fact, mathematicians have been probing polynomials for as long as math has been around, says Farb. It was one of the first things studied in mathematics. I can show you the original Babylonian tablet from like 3000 BC that has the quadratic formula on it. That formula tells you how to find the roots or the values of x that make an expression equal to zero of a standard second degree polynomial. It ties in with so much mathematics. So I think it sort of sits in a central place. Over time, mathematicians naturally wondered if such clean formulas existed for higher degree polynomials. Here's mathematician Jesse Wolfson. The quadratic formula just says if you know how to do arithmetic and compute a square root, then here's a formula that just solves it for you on the nose. The whole multi-millennial history of the problem is trying to kind of get back to something that powerful and simple and effective. But the higher polynomials grow in degree, the more unwieldy they become. In his 1545 book, Ars Magna, Italian polymath Gerolamo Cardano published formulas for finding the roots of cubic or third degree, the quartic or fourth degree polynomials. The roots of a cubic polynomial can be found using a crazy complicated formula that you're going to have to go to the Quantum Magazine website to see. The quartic formula is even worse. Kurt McMullen of Harvard says as they go up in degree, they go up in complexity. They form a tower of complexities. The question is, how can we capture that tower of complexities? Italian mathematician Paolo Ruffini argued in 1799 that polynomials of degree 5 or higher couldn't be solved using arithmetic or radicals. Norwegian Niels Henrik Abel proved it in 1824. In other words, there can be no similar quintic formula. Fortunately, other ideas emerged that suggested ways forward for higher-degree polynomials, which could be simplified through substitution. For example, in 1786, a Swedish lawyer named Erland Bring showed that any quintic polynomial equation could be rewritten in an equivalent but simplified form. This pointed to new ways of approaching the inherent but hidden rules of polynomials. UC Irvine's Jesse Wolfson says in the 19th century, William Rowan Hamilton picked up where Bring and the others had left off. And actually extends it and shows that as you let the degree of the polynomial get big, then in the limit, you can get rid of an arbitrary number of variables in your formula. So Bring showed that for the degree five polynomial higher, you can have a formula in one variable functions. And that difference between the degree and the number of variables is four. And Hamilton showed that actually that difference goes very slowly to infinity. He computes some initial values. Hamilton showed, among other things, that to find the roots of any sixth-degree polynomial equation, you only need the usual arithmetic operations, some square and cube roots, and an algebraic formula that depends on only two parameters. 
1975, algebraist Richard Brower at Harvard introduced the idea of resolvent degree. That describes the lowest number of terms needed to represent the polynomial of some degree. Less than a year later, Arnold and Japanese number theorist Goro Shimura introduced nearly the same definition in another paper. Brouwer's framework represented the first attempt to codify the rules of such substitutions. Through that lens, Hilbert's 13th problem asks us if it's possible for 7th degree polynomials to have a resolvent degree of less than 3. Later, he made similar conjectures about 6th and 8th degree polynomials. But these questions also invoke a broader one. What's the smallest number of parameters you need to find the roots of any polynomial? How low can you go? A natural way to approach this question is to think about what polynomials look like. A polynomial can be written as a function, for example, and that function can be graphed. So finding the roots becomes a matter of recognizing that where the function has value 0, the curve crosses the x-axis. Higher degree polynomials give rise to more complicated figures. Third degree polynomial functions with three variables, for example, produce smooth but twisty surfaces embedded in three dimensions. And again, by knowing where to look on these figures, mathematicians can learn more about their underlying polynomial structure. As a result, many efforts to understand polynomials borrow from algebraic geometry and topology. These are mathematical fields that focus on what happens when shapes and figures are projected, deformed, squashed, stretched, or otherwise transformed without breaking. Farb explains. Poincaré, in 1905, invented the field of topology in his paper Analysis Situs. And he explicitly says that he's doing this in order to understand algebraic functions. Because people were wrestling with these really fundamental things. And the math that came out of that somehow was this massive amount of mathematics, and it went its own direction. Hilbert himself unearthed a particularly remarkable connection by applying geometry to the problem. By the time he enumerated his problems in 1900, mathematicians had a vast array of tricks to reduce polynomials, but they still couldn't make progress. But in 1927, Hilbert described a new trick. He began by identifying all the possible ways to simplify ninth-degree polynomials, and he found within them a family of special cubic surfaces. Hilbert already knew that every smooth cubic surface, a twisty shape defined by third-degree polynomials, contains exactly 27 straight lines, no matter how tangled it appears. Those lines shift as the coefficients of the polynomials change. Hilbert realized that if he knew one of those lines, he could simplify the ninth-degree polynomial to find its roots. The formula required only four parameters. In modern terms, that means the resolvent degree is at most four. Farb says it's amazing that Hilbert saw that geometry could be leveraged to do that. As Cassin helped Farb and Wolfson connect the dots, they realized that the widespread assumption that Hilbert's 13th was solved had essentially closed off interest in a geometric approach to resolvent degree. Here's Cassin. Once you hear what the problem is, it is kind of a natural problem from the point of view of algebraic geometry. 
but there's not that much in the literature about this kind of problem. That's what makes this story, I think, interesting. In January of 2020, Wolfson published a paper reviving the idea by extending Hilbert's geometric work on ninth-degree polynomials to a more general theory. Hilbert had focused on cubic surfaces to solve ninth-degree polynomials in one variable. But what about higher-degree polynomials? Wolfson thought that to solve those in a similar way, you could replace that cubic surface with some higher-dimensional hypersurface formed by those higher-degree polynomials in many variables. The geometry of these is less understood, but in the last few decades, mathematicians have been able to prove that hypersurfaces always have lines in some cases. Hilbert's idea of using a line on a cubic surface to solve a ninth-degree polynomial can be extended to lines on these higher-dimensional hypersurfaces. Wolfson used this method to find new, simpler formulas for polynomials for certain degrees. That means that even if you can't visualize it, you can solve a 100-degree polynomial simply by finding a plane on a multidimensional cubic hypersurface. With this new method, Wolfson confirmed Hilbert's value of the resolvent degree for ninth-degree polynomials. And for other degrees of polynomials, especially those above degree 9, his method narrows down the possible values for the resolvent degree. So this isn't a direct attack on Hilbert's 13th, but rather on polynomials in general. The work points to new ways of thinking about these mathematical constructions. This general theory of resolvent degree also shows that Hilbert's conjectures about 6th degree, 7th degree, and 8th degree equations are equivalent to problems in other seemingly unrelated fields of math. Farb says resolvent degree offers a way to categorize these problems by a kind of algebraic complexity. It's similar to grouping optimization problems in complexity classes. Even though the theory began with Hilbert's 13th, the mathematicians are skeptical that it can actually settle the open question about 7th degree polynomials. It speaks to big, unexplored mathematical landscapes in unimaginable dimensions, but it hits a brick wall at the lower numbers, and it can't determine their resolvent degrees. For Kurt McMullen of Harvard, the lack of headway, despite these signs of progress, is itself interesting. It suggests that the problem holds secrets that modern math simply can't comprehend. Mathematician Zenovi Reichstein says solving it would require entirely new ideas. Reichstein has developed his own new ideas about simplifying polynomials using a concept he calls essential dimension. Still, the trio is undeterred. Farb calls it enticing. I'm not going to give up on this. It's definitely become kind of the white whale. What's keeping me going is forgetting the problem, all the kind of web of connections, the mathematics surrounding it, the things we are proving and learning. And Farb says they still don't know how deep they can go down the rabbit hole, bringing together a variety of disciplines. We've been throwing so many kinds of math at this problem, and it's not clear which one of these areas actually really will be the one to unlock the problem. I think we still don't know. Matt 
Karlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Stephen Ornez's full article, Mathematicians Resurrect Hilbert's 13th Problem, on our website, quantumagazine.org. <laughs> <laughs>